Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Kriya Yoga and how the practices of Kriya Yoga can help us to remove obstacles to the realization of our true soul nature. My guest today is Nayaswami Devarshi. He is a longtime Ananda minister and Kriyacharya. Kriyacharya is an authorized Kriya Yoga teacher. Nayaswami Devarshi lives in India, leading Ananda's monastery, and serves as the director of Ananda's global Kriya Yoga Sangha. Devarshi works with those taking Kriya Yoga for the first time and counsels experienced practitioners. He's the author of the book we'll be discussing today, Kriya Yoga, Spiritual Awakening for the New Age. The website where you can find out more about Devarshi and about uh, this book is ananda.org. Um, you can also check out anandaindia.org. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Devarshi. I'm delighted you could join me on the podcast. Thank you, Laurel, and it's a great joy to be here with you and to share these very inspiring teachings that I know we both share together. We are both practitioners of this great teaching of Paramahansa Yogananda, and it's a joy to have this satsang with you and with everyone. Yeah, I feel the same. So before we dive into our conversation about Kriya Yoga, let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness of being right here and right now. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our body, feeling our body in space, whatever we're doing, just feeling our body, whether we're sitting or standing, walking, driving, just being right where we are. And then turning our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how now that temperature has warmed. And then just staying with the breath. Here's something to contemplate from a daily inspiration from Paramahansa Yogananda from his book, The Essence of Self-Realization. Self-realization is the knowing in all parts of body, mind, and soul, that you are now in possession of the kingdom of God, that you do not have to pray that it comes to you, that God's omnipresence is your omnipresence, and that all you need to do is to improve your knowing. Self-realization is the knowing in all parts of body, mind, and soul, that you are now in possession of the kingdom of God, that you do not have to pray that it comes to you, 
that God's omnipresence is your omnipresence and that all you need to do is to improve your knowing. Oh. Once again, Naya Swami Devarshi, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm really delighted to have you as a guest and to discuss your new book, Kriya Yoga, Spiritual Awakening for the New Age, with you. Thank you, Laurel. So Paramahansa Yogananda, author of Autobiography of a Yogi, brought the teachings of Kriya Yoga from India to the West beginning in 1920. Your teacher, Swami Kriyananda, and Yogacharya O'Brien's teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, were both direct disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda, meaning that they studied with Yogananda while he was here, while he was alive. Of course, with this close relationship of our teacher, your teacher and my teacher's teacher, we are Kriya cousins. So it's really mm -hmm. lovely to have you on the book and to talk more deeply with you about this ancient practice and philosophy of Kriya Yoga. Kriya Yoga provides an intentional, universal approach to self-realization and to spiritual enlightenment. It's a path for spiritual awakening, a way to discover our essential nature and to live a more conscious and fulfilling life, which you detail in many, many ways in your book. I wanted to start by asking you, what brought you to this path? What brought me to the path of Kriya Yoga is I was a teenager at the time even, and this was in the early 1970s. And like many people then, and many people today, I was not drawn to the religion I was brought up in. I knew that there must be something there, but just nothing resonated with me. But I was searching for truth. I knew that there was some greater reality that we were all part of, that we could know. But I didn't know how to find it. It was just, it was an innate understanding that I think must have come from past lifetimes. And at that time, books were just finally starting to come out about yogis in India, you know, Baba Ramdas writing Be Here Now and other books like that. And when I began reading those books, it just, a light bulb turned off in my head. There was just an instant attraction to those things. And it was just beautiful to read in the same sentence talking about saints, yogi saints and Christian saints having the same experience of God, not, not as some abstract, you know, old man with a long hair and a beard on a throne somewhere, but <laughs> as a as a living reality. Mm -hmm. And so one day I was walking in a forest right near, it was right in my backyard almost, this vast forest. And I just had an overwhelming experience of divine joy and divine love. And it really, it was so overwhelming. I was speechless and I just knew at that moment that this is God. This is what the saints of all religions have been talking about. And this is what I have been seeking. And I never turned back after that moment. And strangely, at that moment, I share, I think, in the book that I took a vow that was really not even a vow. It was just a determination that I would spend the rest of my life as a yogi seeking God. And I, I had never met a yogi at that point. <clears throat> but it was just so strong and so yeah. deeply rooted. Yeah. And so I spent the next few years looking and looking. And finally, I found 
Paramahansa Yogananda autobiography of a yogi, Swami Kriyananda, and the Ananda community in California. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, I love that actually in your book, you know, when you said you had this determination, you know, that you were going to live as a yogi. Well, uh, oops, I don't even know a yogi. I have no idea how that's even possible. But no, it's great. You know, it was really, it was really lovely to read about that moment, you know, for you. Um, so as you mentioned, this has been going on a long time for you. You've been on the Kriya Yoga path for more than 40 years. Why did this book happen now? Why did you write this book at this time? You know, I've been guiding people as my main role with Ananda Sangha for the last almost 20 years in the teachings of Kriya Yoga. And so I've had the opportunity, the blessing to really go deeply into it. This was a task given to me by Swami Kriyananda. And so I've been able to work with hundreds with thousands of Kriya Yogis and guiding them, helping them. And of course, I have my own life experience. I also have the experience of living at Ananda Village for 45 plus years and seeing what Kriya Yoga does for people and seeing what gives the right results and how it's best done. And so that, that experience, I was asked by the current directors of Ananda Worldwide uh, Jyotish and Devi, uh, to write this book on Kriya Yoga. And, and it took us some time to understand how to write something that would appeal to people who are just starting to develop an interest in these things, but also to longtime Kriya Yogis. Mm-hmm. And it took a few years to figure out how to do that. Yeah. That was a great puzzle. But I was able, finally, I really just, through the grace of God and through our gurus, kind of using me as their instrument, I was able to get myself out of the way to allow them to really work through me. And at times they had to kick me out of the way because I didn't quite know how to do that. But uh, the timing was right. And the pandemic also was very interesting because I tried writing the book before the pandemic. But then after the pandemic started and midway into it, I realized, ah, this is why, this is what it was waiting for, was a time of upheaval in people's lives where people are questioning everything in their lives during the pandemic, you know, why am I doing this job? What are we here for? What is the purpose of life? How do I seek happiness? How do I overcome fear and anxiety that I'm feeling? And so somehow the divine timing was right, uh, right now to write this book in many ways. Mm. That's a lovely story. I wanted to start by talking about yugas because as part of your title of the book, you talk about spiritual awakening for the new age. And that means something in the book. You, you describe what that is. So in his book, The Holy Science, Paramahansa Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar wrote, now in this 194th year of Dwapara Yuga, the dark age of Kali Yuga having long passed away, the world is reaching out for spiritual knowledge and men require loving help from one another. I love that last part. Men require loving help from one another. That's from beautiful. Him. Thank you for thank you for reminding me of that passage there. It's yeah. just I, I'm going to use it. <laughs> so the title of the book, as I mentioned, is Kriya Yoga: Spiritual Awakening for the New Age. And you, the new age that you that you uh, describe reflects this change that Sri Yukteswar was talking about. 
this change we're experiencing in the planetary cycle, moving from Kali Yuga, the age of materialism, to this new age, this Dwapara Yuga, more enlightened age, when many souls will awaken spiritually. That's how it's described. So would you say a little bit more about that? Would you give an overview of those two yugas for the listeners? And some idea, too, of how long they are, because these are very long, <laughs> they're very long processes. They're very long processes. And this transition, we're still in the transition from Kali Yuga, age of matter, where people only saw matter as the reality. The electron was not discovered and atomic physics. And religion too, society was very fixed and very rigid. People's role in society, you know, where they were socially and this whole social ladder was very fixed. And people saw matter as the only reality. And structures were very well-defined. Religion was trying to be very defined. And churches were these huge stone edifices, you know, showing their solidity. And, and Dwapara Yuga is an age of energy. And when energy comes, it thaws out ice, for example. Fire thaws the ice, and it starts becoming more fluid. And it starts to become less rigid. And so this age of Dwapara Yuga is an age when especially you see with society some of the old forms breaking down and form is breaking down during this time and you also just see a lot of strife in the world because the old ways are are trying to hold on for dear life the old religions the old dogmatic religions are holding on for dear life even using violence to protect their religion as you see in some parts of the world and so this is a time of great strife uh, Swami Kriyananda pointed out that those forces of holding on to the old forms during this transition time are actually energized by the new incoming and higher level of energy of Dwapara Yuga. And that's, that's the battle you see in the world today, is those old forms energized, holding on for dear life. And you see a fight between light and darkness, between form and structure in this new freedom with spirituality that people are feeling. And so that's a lot of what we're seeing right now is that battle. And that time will end because Kali Yuga lasted 1,200 years. It had its time. It still has some momentum. Dwapara Yuga lasts 2,400 years. And we're in the ascending part of that cycle. Mm -hmm. And in India, most People think that it's still Kali Yuga, the Dark Age, but Sri Yukteswar and the Holy Science pointed out that that was a mistake and a misunderstanding. And you can see in the age of growing energy, people see that matter is energy. Science sees that. Right. And technology, which works with energy, electricity, electrons, computers, cell phones, that's all sort of demonstrable proof that we're in this new age of energy. And then many ways that we will see it, and we are seeing it, is that the end of what Yogananda called churchianity, where, where <laughs> churches are institutions trying not to serve their people, but holding on to their place of religious power in, in the world in many ways. Mm. And so in that way, and we're seeing this, uh, just this week in the New York Times, there was a long article about how people are leaving the churches in vast, vast numbers. And it's really hastening just in the last five years, especially in the West and, and in America. They're questioning 
the whole basis of a church and a structure and a form that they're not really sure about. Mm -hmm. But people are seeking truth. And so they're not going away from God. They're going inward and trying to understand. And this is what Yogananda said. He said people would start meditating and, and having the direct experience of God in meditation. Mm -hmm. And one very funny joke I share in the book is by a, a comedian in America. And this was many years ago he said this, and, and now you're seeing it really happen. But he said that studies are showing that thousands and thousands are leaving the churches and going back to God. And this is what <laughs> people are doing. They're not, they're not leaving God. They're looking for God. But they realize they're not finding it with the rituals and the rules and the form. And they're seeking it in other ways, and they don't know how, but Kriya Yoga shows how, and that's why these teachings have come now into this world, and why Yogananda chose this time to incarnate and, and to come and bring these teachings of Kriya Yoga. Thank you for that uh, explanation of the yugas. I, I was very interested in the way you described it, and particularly this idea that, that as the old age passes away, this increased energy is very agitating. I would describe it as, and we definitely see that in our in our world today. Now, let's turn our focus to Kriya Yoga itself. So in, in Mavatar Babaji's words that he spoke to Paramahansa Yogananda in 1920, he said, Kriya Yoga, the direct way to God realization will ultimately spread in all lands. And so here we are talking about Kriya Yoga. And, and people may not be familiar with that term. Kriya is a Sanskrit word that means action. And obviously yoga means conscious union of body, mind, soul, and spirit. So in this way, Kriya yoga means actions that then contribute to our ability to have that conscious union. That's my definition. So let's give yeah. you a chance. So what's your definition and your experience of Kriya Yoga? Yeah, it's it's hard to narrowly define Kriya Yoga in a very short way. And Kriya, I, uh, I asked a Sanskrit scholar about this because Kriya and Karma have the same root in Sanskrit. And I asked him, well, what's, there must be some difference, though, between Kriya and Karma. Otherwise, there would just be one word. And he said that Kriya has more of an implication of pure action, like an act that is given to God in meditation or a rite that is given to God. And Yogananda touches on that in the chapter on Kriya Yoga in Autobiography of a Yogi. And so Kriya Yoga, it is a technique, but it is much more than a technique. And many people misunderstand because they think it's just a breathing exercise. And there is a technique that is part of what we do. But number one, Kriya is a whole way of life, a whole approach to life is what really it is because Kriya, the, the breathing, the working with the energy that we do with the, the Kriya technique, it's not mechanical in giving results. It also has to just work with devotion, with this selfless act of giving it as a devotional act to God in many ways. And so... Kriya as a way of life includes yoga practices, it includes the science of yoga, it includes right attitude, it includes other selfless, pure acts like, you know, serving others and helping others and not being selfish and self-involved. And so this whole way of life includes everything I write in the book, because uh, 
I really felt it was important with this book. One part of it was to really convey the idea that it's not just this single technique mm -hmm. because people hear Kriya Yoga, it will bring me to God and they look it up. Oh, it's just a breathing exercise. I can just learn it online. And people do. And they get very little results from it. And then they discard it and say, oh, Kriya, that's, that didn't work. But it really needs to be understood in, a, in the right way and practiced in the right way. First, initially in meditation as a technique with this devotional attitude, with the guidance of a, a guide like Yogananda, but then also integrated into daily life and, and applied in daily life. And when it's done in that way, then you start to see the results right. more and more. I liked how you talked about it in the book as a combination of art and science. And this idea of science may be unfamiliar or may not seem to apply from people when right. they think about science, for example, being done in a lab, you know, in like a, right. you know, in some kind of a, where there's Bunsen burners and there's glassware right. and that kind of thing. Yeah. But by science, I'll say what I mean, and then you can talk about the art and science. So science is like our the laboratory of our own life, the laboratory of our own experience, our direct experience. So how would you describe this, you know, this combination of Kriya Yoga as both art and science? Yeah, I would say it the way you say it. I, I like to say that Kriya Yoga is a practical science, mm -hmm. meaning it's something that we do practice. And when a, a new science a new theory is presented someone first has the theory but then they have to actually prove that it works mm -hmm. and do the experiment with the bunsen burner and everything and then they write a scientific paper but even that is not enough to prove the science it actually has to be able to be proven by anybody anywhere doing the same experiment right and that's what makes kriya a practical science because there is this inner science of yoga working with the inner flow of energy that the yogis have been teaching for millennia. But what makes it a practical science too is that anyone anywhere at any time can practice Kriya Yoga and get the same results. If they do it in the right way, just like with the Bunsen burner, you had to get the right temperature and mix the right things together. But Kriya is the same way. And it, it works with very simple universal realities that we all have they're not based on gender religion belief and it's this inner science of yoga and it's a practical science and for example you know if we sit upright with a straight spine shoulders back chest out we feel more energy we feel more uplifted but if we slump down and look down we feel down even the word that feeling down the energy is being pulled down by just our physical posture and so Kriya Yoga and the whole science of yoga is based on similar universal realities that are true to all human beings anytime, anywhere. And some of the science is more subtle and much more interiorized, but it is the same for everyone. And there is a practical application of it with the techniques of yoga, but also just with the application in daily life of how we work with these things. I like the way that you that you described it in the book, though, as um, the technique alone is not enough. Like if we just focus yeah. on the technique, it becomes it can become dry and yeah. lack inspiration. And you talked about the importance, the art of it 
like bringing your heart, bringing devotion that goes along with the practice and keeps it um, real, keeps it alive, I guess I'd say. Did you want to say more about that? Yes, because the science alone is not enough. And people who are successful in life, in any, who, who are great successes, they understand the technique of their business, their painting, their music, but they also have this inspired inner feeling. They have intuition. They have a, a calm inner understanding. And uh, a master musician is a good example of technique, which is the science part, and the art part, which is the inspiration part. And a, really a great musician, I, I, I think I share the story of a friend I know who plays the cello, who's a master musician. He, he's a teacher, he plays in orchestras. And when he plays that cello, you can see that he has flawless technique with his fingering. And I trust that he still does the finger exercises regularly to keep his fingers fluid. But he also has passion and inspired feeling for the music he is playing. And because his technique is flawless, he's able to use with this technique and the instrument, he's able to express beautiful, inspired, divine feeling, inspiration, different moods and feeling of the music. And the two combined is what really allows him to really express these deep feelings through his instrument. And Kriya Yoga, similarly, it's our body is our instrument in a way. And the science is the techniques that give us control over the life force. And so just like the musician gets control over his fingers, the yogi develops pranayama, which is control of the life force. And when you have control over the life force, you have control over your thoughts, your feelings. And so you can be uplifted or joyful at will, and you can start to overcome all the ups and downs of negative emotions and, and these things. And so this is where it becomes a, almost a marriage or even a dance between art and science. Mm -hmm. And the way Yogananda put it once, he said, make love to God through technique and devotion. And it's, it's a combination. It's not you do one at one time, you do the other at the other time. It really is like the musician playing that inspired music with great skill also. Right. So the, the goal of Kriya Yoga practice for, for all of us, the life goal uh, is um, enlightenment, is waking up, is becoming yeah. free. And yet we are in a, you know, in a process of meditation that can sometimes feel very, very far from that. So one of the things that I enjoyed uh, was a story that you shared from a close disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda about the gardener who plants and cares for a fruit tree, um, which I found reassuring. So would you, would you share that story with yeah. our listeners? Yeah, the disciple of Yogananda was this woman who I met. Her name was Peggy Dietz. And she actually was Yogananda's sort of chauffeur or driver in the 1920s in Los Angeles, in the 1930s, when he first came to Los Angeles. So she knew him for many, many, many years. And I met Peggy when she was in her 80s. And she was the most delightful, joyful. You would laugh a lot with her. She was also a great artist. She's written a couple of short books that are really enlightening about her time with Yogananda. But she described to me that a Kriya Yogi is much like a gardener. And this resonated with me because I've been a gardener all my life. And I knew the way she said it was very true. 
She said, a gardener plants a fruit tree. And with fruit trees, as I know from having planted a lot of fruit trees, different varieties take different lengths of time to start bearing fruit. And sometimes you just don't know when it's really going to start bearing. And it depends on the variety, depends on the climate, depends on the soil conditions, depends on that very particular individual plant. But the gardener, all he, all he can do, he can't speed up the process. What he can do though, is he can do all the right practices, just like the Kriya Yogi can do all the right practices. And the gardener waters, fertilizes, protects it from cows and deer eating it and takes care of it. And the gardener knows, just like the Kriya Yogi, that if he does all these right practices and also uses some intuition, knows something's not quite right with this plant, you know, what's, what's wrong with it? Maybe there's a disease or a bug. But if he does all the right things, the tree will bear fruit in its own time and in the right time. And the gardener just trusts. There's a lot of trust involved and there's a lot of patience. And I've seen the same with Kriya Yoga, that without exception, I see amazing changes in people, sometimes more quickly, sometimes over the years. But Kriya Yogis who I know, and I know I've met thousands, if they stay with the process and just focus on the right practices in meditation and right attitude, all these things, results inevitably come and life-changing results. The person, you can't even recognize them uh, from before they began practicing Kriya Yoga. Yeah, that's great. Very inspiring. As a reminder to our listeners, today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is Nayaswami Devarshi. Devarshi leads the Ananda community in India. He works with those taking Kriya Yoga for the first time, as well as counseling experienced practitioners. And he is the author of the book we are discussing today, Kriya Yoga, Spiritual Awakening for the New Age. You can find out more about Devarshi and the Ananda community at the website ananda.org. We will also have this link on our webpage at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Devarshi, turning to the more specific contents of the book, I did want to take a moment to, to say that um, when I was reading the book, when we were reading the book, um, we were struck by how much the uh, four classical paths of yoga are represented in what you in what you write about. So the four classical paths of yoga, one of the first is karma yoga, which is the path of action and selfless service. There's bhakti yoga, which is the path of devotion, raja yoga, the path of meditation, Jnana yoga, the path of wisdom and self-knowledge. So those are the four paths of yoga. And throughout your book, although you don't write about the four paths of yoga directly, you interweave the teachings of Kriya Yoga and, and experience because Kriya Yoga actually includes all of those four paths of yoga. So let's start with Raja Yoga, which combines the practice of meditation and control over mind and emotions. Um, and you write, Kriya Yoga increases the flow of energy in our deep energy spine, which yogis call the Shashumna. In science, as well as spiritual life, the greater the flow of energy, the greater the magnetic field. Kriya Yoga changes our life from the inside out. If our energy flow is always positive, 
upwardly directed divine energy, we will attract positive thoughts, inspiration, uplifting company, and success on all levels, practical as well as spiritual. So it's kind of touching back on something that you mentioned earlier about, you know, the importance of this uplifting of energy. Would you say more about that? Yeah, I would, because it almost sounds too good to be true that you just get control of the energy and everything changes in your life. But I have seen it. And that's why I'm so avid about sharing these teachings because I know that it does work. And so the inner science of yoga, of Raja Yoga, is about gaining control over these inner energies. And when we gain control over those energies, that flow of energy, it's not just that positive thoughts, creative ideas, we're also working with the feeling energy. And this is why it's difficult to talk about one of those four paths of yoga without also talking about the others because they really are all working together. And so just working with the feeling energy, we're all feeling beings, whether we know it or not. I think some people, especially in the West and you know, people who are more macho kind of a people tend to repress the feeling energy, but it's there. And if you repress it, it comes out in anger or other ways. Uh, the more negative downpulling forms of it. And so what control over those inner energies in the deep astral energy spine, the Sushumna, it also gives us control over thoughts, but also over feeling. And it allows us to turn lower feeling into uplifted feeling. And it can allow us to turn even negative feelings and emotions into their positive counterpart and uplift those feelings. And this is why I, I share a lot in the book about working with Kriya to overcome grief and loss and suffering and sorrow and all these negative emotions. And Kriya can do that. And I've worked with Kriya long enough and experienced it in very profound ways. Yogananda, a chant of his, he says, touch me but once and I will change all my clay into thy gold. And clay into gold is the alchemy. I think Lahiri Mahashai talked about that as a spiritual alchemy. And we can turn our, our, our funkiest qualities. You know, I, I joke that Yogananda with that chant used the word clay. It could have been much coarser words of <laughs> what we turn into gold, really, of just uplifting our, our worst qualities, really, honestly, into gold through transmutation of just learning how to control that flowing energy, especially on the feeling level, and turning it into this exalted, uplifted, inspirational energy. So that's how those control and working with that energy in the deep, subtle spine gives us control over thoughts, emotions, moods, feelings. And that's the science of Raja Yoga, but it touches on Bhakti Yoga too, mm -hmm. yeah. which is yoga of devotion. And initially people are emotional in their love for God, and it's a good start. But then as you start calming the waves of feeling of the heart, you start to turn these lower forms of emotion into true love for God. And so that's how those two connect, but all of them interweave with each other. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And especially in Kriya Yoga, really draws on all, on all yeah. of the four classical paths of yoga. I wanted to ask you about, um, uh, well, one of the things that I've, I've learned in my time, um, you, you have 40 years or more than 40 years on the path. I've got more like 20 
something, 21, 22 years on Penn. Um, as I've learned from my teachers, and I suspect you from yours, there is such an importance to have regular steady practice of both meditation and pranayama. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, uh, we always like to provide something for listeners. Not everyone can go and, you know, buy your book. Um, but I, I wanted to um, give them a little demonstration of something that they can take away with them. Yeah. So to give our listeners a helpful technique that they could begin to practice now, would you describe a little bit about the Hong Sa technique sure. and then do a little demonstration for us? That'd okay. be great. Yeah. Now, the path of Kriya Yoga, the way that Paramahansa Yogananda taught it, has four main techniques. One is working with energy called the energization exercises. Another is this Hong Sa technique. Another, of course, is the Kriya technique. And the other one is the Om meditation technique. And these are all taught through different you know, centers and practitioners and followers of Yogananda. And the Hong Sa technique, Yogananda called it the baby Kriya because it has some similar effects as the Kriya technique of working with the breath and in this case, calming the agitated, restless feelings of the heart and the mind through just a simple breathing exercises. And just, it comes with practice. As you said, that it's important to have a daily practice. And when you do, it's like the musician doing the finger exercises every day. And when you, when you stay in practice, it just, it's always natural to have that control uh, more and more over time, not even just in a static way, but more and more gaining it. So I'll just guide us through a very short practice of the Hong Sa practice. And it's a very good way to calm anxiety, agitated feelings, worry, and restlessness, and just when the thoughts are just churning and we're worrying in those ways. And so let's just sit upright, shoulders back, chest slightly out. We can close the eyes if you're able to, or you are listening to this. And you can gaze gently upward with the eyes. And be aware of the breath and the breathing. Try to be aware of where the air is coming in through the nostrils. And just be in the moment. We are just, our only job right now is just to be aware of the breathing. We're not controlling it. We're just watching it. Feel the air across the nostrils when you inhale, rising up, coming down the nostrils when you exhale. And try to be at complete ease and relaxation while we do this. And now we'll do a mantra. It's a vibrational mantra. That is Hong Sa. And continuing to feel the air in the nostrils, mentally chant Hong, H-O-N-G, a long drawn out Hong that follows the inhalation. And mentally chant Sa, S-A-U, with the exhalation. Hong as we inhale, feeling the air. Saw as we exhale, feeling the air in the nostrils. And do this for 
20 or 30 seconds in a very interiorized way. And now let go of the practice and just try to be aware of the deep stillness in your heart. That stillness is an aspect of God. Om, peace, amen. And normally you want to practice this for many minutes at a time. And when you go deep into it, you'll find that it becomes very easy to find that point of stillness in the heart because the breathing slows down, the heart rate slows down, but especially the agitated feelings of the heart start to calm down and slow down. And we can, this is self-realization when all the waves and the ripples and the restlessness fall away. Then we see, we realize who and what we have always been. And that was beautifully shared at the very beginning with Yogananda's description of who and what we are and what self-realization is. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was really lovely. That was a great um, refreshing pause there. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. So one of the other forms of yoga that I mentioned, the four paths of yoga is bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. Um, and you describe uh, grace in a very poetic way, you said divine grace is like the strong current in the middle of a swiftly flowing river. So would you say a little bit more about that? Um, and what divine grace, um, how we can relate to it, I guess, and what it may have to do with devotion? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. The answer could be long, but I'll try to be brief with that. Because it's such a subtle topic and really an important one. Divine grace is the, the flow or the power of God wanting to help us realize who and what we are. Uh, Swami Kriyananda often, at near the end of his life, would say that when, when we lift one hand up to God, God lowers two hands down to pick us up. And so it's a cooperative joint effort in a way. In, in, the, in India, the word bhakti, it's in the West, we think of devotion as it's me and you, you, Lord, out there, and I am loving you, but there's a separation there. And in India, bhakti also has this connotation of participation, of doing it together. Yeah. And the way Swami Kriyananda described this was, he said, when we pray, don't just pray to God, maybe in the beginning we do, but pray in God. Mm -hmm. And just don't just meditate on God, meditate in God. And so bhakti and devotion is this self-offering into the divine, whatever way we worship the design, the divine. But then there starts to be a union or emerging. And then it's more participatory. And that's, we have to put out the effort. Some people teach that divine grace just comes on its own and we can't do much about it. But really we must put out the effort to, in a way, lift our consciousness up to that place where divine grace then picks us up the rest of the way. 
And it was, I think it was Ramakrishna who used this analogy of a river where if we walk along the banks of the river trying to make progress, we walk through the mud and the thickets and the brambles and it's very slow progress. But if we start to go out into the river, we have to put out the effort to do that. We wade through the mud and we start to get to the water and then we have to start swimming. And if we swim hard enough, we start to go into the central current of the river. And if we do that, then we can swim with that current joyfully with ease. And that current will carry us to the ocean of really divine oneness and divine freedom. And this is why Yogananda used to say that on this path of Kriya Yoga, he said efforts end in ease. And so this is cooperating with grace, which is a beautiful way of seeing it as just, and this is the art of yoga and meditation in a way, is this, this understanding that there is a flow of energy, a divine energy that's wanting, and it's intelligent and loving and wanting to help us mm -hmm. find freedom. And our part is simply just to cooperate with it. And we can't do it on our own. We can make some progress. But when we do it with the divine as this joint effort as one, then it's the river carrying us to divine freedom. And then it becomes a, a joyful, liberating, freeing, I would say even easy process. Mm -hmm. But it takes some work to get there and some <laughs> inner intuition and understanding of, of how to do it and what that means and how to get our little ego out of the way and cooperate with the divine. So it's a lifelong process in many ways, but uh, results come quickly and with that process. Mm -hmm. that, it was interesting to hear you say, uh, we can learn to cooperate with it because I, this was a, a saying that Roy Eugene Davis often mm -hmm. would talk about, about <laughs> a divine, I'm, I'm not gonna get it exactly right, but you know, there is a divine uh, you know, force uh, enlivening the universe and uh, mm -hmm. we can learn to cooperate with it. Um, that's that's it. That's cooperating with grace. Yeah. So turning to karma yoga, which is the yoga of action, <clears throat> excuse me, and selfless service, um, there was a um, there was a quote from uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar in Autobiography of a Yogi, <clears throat> which I liked. He said, uh, or according to Yogananda, Yukteswar uh, said. Forget the past. The vanished lives of all men are dark with many shames. Human conduct is ever unreliable until anchored in the divine. Everything in the future will improve if you are making a spiritual effort now. Love that one. And then you write in your in your words, a basic principle of Kriya is worth repeating when we think more of giving to others and to God and less of looking out for number one ourselves, we find that somehow things begin working out for our own highest good. Our destiny begins to change. So would you say a bit more about that? Yeah, because karma yoga is selfless action. Kriya yoga too, in a way. Uh, Swami Kriyananda wrote towards the end of his life that he said, every Kriya I see now, which is the, the, the Kriya technique, Every Kriya I see now should be an act of devotional self-offering. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the spiritual right of, of selfless, of right action, the pure selfless action in meditation, 
But people who just think to do it in meditation only, I've seen people try that and I haven't seen it work because there's a tendency to get self-involved. It's my practice, my meditation. You know, I need to find God. And it can actually enhance the ego because it starts to be me, 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 rather than this selfless giving. And so we do have a duty also. What You shared that beautiful passage at the beginning where Sri Yukteswar said that in this age, we have this necessity to lovingly help others with inspiration, with joy, with kindness, with compassion. And so karma yoga is simply the selfless act of giving to others, just you know, as, as a giving to God in meditation. And it really, it's, I think it's necessary. I don't think we can, maybe a great advanced yogi can just go and meditate, mm -hmm. but I haven't seen that work for people in this age. Right. And so we do have a, a karmic duty. Uh, Sri Yukteswar said that those who are breathing the good air of this earth, they have the duty to offer grateful service to others. And so while we're here, we do have that karmic duty of an obligation to share what we have with others. And even if it's just simple acts of kindness. And when we do that, it starts to dissolve our ego in the very same way that Kriya Yoga does. And then the, all the obstacles get out of the way of I, my, me, mine. And you see this in people who are very self-involved and only thinking of themselves that they become contracted and brittle and unhappy. Those who are generous and who are giving, they gain more. They gain more than they give, really. They just gain in inner freedom, in inspiration, in joy. And so this is where Kriya Yoga, Raja Yoga, and Karma Yoga, this act of selfless giving, are so really importantly intertwined. Mm. Lovely description. Thank you. So turning to Jnana Yoga, which focuses on willpower, self-inquiry, contemplation, and knowledge, um, including exploring uh, scripture. In the autobiography of a yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda talks about the technical yogi. And you yeah. write, the true technological yogi is one who practices and applies that knowledge every day. So how does a technical, technological yogi exemplify what it means to be a jnana yogi in this case, a, a someone who's focused on those things that I mentioned, willpower, self-inquiry, contemplation, and knowledge? Yeah. You know, I always appreciate something Swami Kriyananda taught us, that jnana yoga, true wisdom, is something that's understood intuitively, in inspiration, and in upliftment, an uplifted consciousness. It's not just book learning and, and knowing the scriptures. Those things guide us to wisdom. The true wisdom comes from realization. And he would give the example of Ananda Moima, the great Bengali saint from Autobiography of a Yogi, who was a saint of devotion and, and bliss. And she was also, she was unlettered. She didn't read scriptures. Maybe she read a little bit. I don't think she knew how to read. And great scholars, when they were arguing with each other about some interpretation of the scriptures, they would go to her for the understanding of who was right. And it came from realization, from just this intuitive knowing. And so 
Jnana yoga is that kind of wisdom, but it also has practical application because if it's just sort of vague, abstract philosophizing, it it doesn't have a real, it, there's not a reality to it. You know, one of Yogananda's disciples says that one's religion is tested in the cold, hard light of day. Mm -hmm. And so true wisdom has expression and a practical expression in knowing how to how to live, how to practice these teachings in the right way, how to understand them. So yeah, we have to also have that understanding that develops over time. And we can't, you know, I think it was Yogananda who said this, that yoga and meditation are not for stupid people because that the dull mind just cannot really understand how to work with these things. But a dull mind can be clarified through increased energy and all these practices. And so I've seen that Kriya Yoga also makes people more intelligent and more wise just through the regular practice of these things, more understanding, more understanding of others. Because a lot of wisdom is this really innate understanding that some people have of how to help another person who's suffering and knowing just the right thing to do. That's a type of wisdom that comes from, in this case, deep empathy and trying to understand the other person and where they're at and, and knowing what is the right tool or the right way to help them. So Jnana Yoga also for the Kriya Yogi is an integral part of how we work with these things, how we apply them, how we understand them in deeper ways, and both outwardly in the way we give to others, but also inwardly in the way we understand and practice these teachings. Yeah. Well, unbelievably, we've come to almost the end of our time together. I wanted mm -hmm. to give you just a couple of minutes, couple one or two minutes at the end, to, to leave some words of encouragement or inspiration with our listeners. What would you like to share? You know, what I would like to share is something Yogananda said. He said, I could take a few young men of the coarsest type. I can teach them Kriya Yoga. And within a few years, they can become saints. Mm -hmm. And he said, they have to practice it in the right way. That's the catch and the way that we've been talking about. And I've often thought that it'd be fun to have a before and after photos of Kriya Yogis, like you see these magazine ads for diets and things like that. <laughs> and I, I tell seriously that the, my last photo taken before I came to Ananda and began Kriya Yoga, the last photo that was taken of me, I don't have it, was my mugshot taken by the California Department of Corrections for some L, LDs that I had done longer in the past and the karma was catching up to me. But people think that, oh, it, you know, you came this way and they see other Kriya yogis and think, oh, that's how they were born. But it does change anyone and everyone. Mm -hmm. It's just, you just have to practice it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And I, results are 100% guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Now there's a catch, okay, 100% guaranteed. What's the catch? But the only catch is that we just, like that gardener, we just have to practice it and do the right practices and it will change us. Mm -hmm. This is why it's good to meet people who have been doing Kriya yoga for for decades, because you start to see, oh yeah, wow, this, these people have something. It's not just this person and that one. It's all of them have something different. They have something that I want. And that's what really drew me to Kriya Yoga is I started seeing the people who were doing it. And I thought, oh, they have something that I want and I must learn and practice these things. So mm -hmm. it works for everybody. It doesn't matter your religion, your beliefs, mm -hmm. these things do work, so. <laughs> 
Beautiful. For listeners, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been Nayaswami Devarshi of the Ananda community. He's the author of the book we've been discussing today, Kriya Yoga, Spiritual Awakening for the New Age. You can find out more about Devarshi and his books and programs at, I'm going to give you two websites, ananda.org and also anandaindia.org. We'll publish these links on our website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Nayaswami Devarshi, for joining me today on The Yoga Hour. I've really enjoyed our discussion of Kriya Yoga. Thank you, Laurel. It's been such a joy to share satsang and wisdom and joy with another Kriya Yoga practitioner and just to talk about the inspiration and the freedom that these things give to us. So thank you. For listeners, we welcome your comments and questions. Again, you can contact us via our website, theyogahour.com. We hope that you will join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. There is daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. That's Pacific time, the afternoon at 4, and Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang, a gathering of truth seekers is the meaning of that word satsang. That happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. Listeners to this uh, podcast may also enjoy another podcast, the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien that includes many presentations from classes and talks that she has given. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or at the website, the CSE website, csecenter.org. Again, that website, csecenter.org, details many more classes and events than we have time to talk about here. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I am delighted I'll be joined by author and spiritual teacher Mark Nepo, who was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit in 2016 as one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people and was also chosen as one of Oprah Winfrey Network's Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts and voices to elevate humanity. We will be discussing Mark Nepo's newest book of poetry, The Half-Life of Angels. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we love it. If you are enjoying it, if you could talk about it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Alan Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.